You are listening to The Path Podcast on Mountain Bike Radio. Hello, Mountain Bike Radio listeners. Welcome to a new episode of The Path Podcast. Before this episode, there are two things that I want you to check out. That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking you to do anything else. Go to mountainbikeradio.com slash mulberrygap. That's M-U-L-B-E-R-R-Y-G-A-P. So mountainbikeradio.com slash mulberrygap. The other one is go to shopmbr.com. I've updated a lot of uh, different designs, several different hat designs, new shirts, uh, with plenty of options in terms of colors for each of those. So that's all I'm asking. Go to mountainbikeradio.com slash mulberrygap and shopmbr.com. That's it. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning in. This is Nathan. This is Ock. And this is Tawny. And back in 1992, we used to call that kind of music slow jams. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That was some good sound quality coming through. I was liking that today. <laughs> I uh, I thought you guys uh, might enjoy that. So that's actually uh, Luke's brother. Oh, yeah. I heard him on... What, what show was that? He was on, um, I think, Good Morning America? Yeah. It's like a... No, the Today Show. He was on the Today Show. Right. So that's Roy English. And uh, he's an up-and-coming artist, and he was recently on the Today Show. And it's kind of cool, because that's Luke's brother. Sometimes it pays to be the black sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Ray English slow, slow jamming in 2017. Cool. You, you got it. So Luke used to work at The Path, and that was his brother. Yeah. Yep, for Everybody. sure. We should uh, maybe shout out to Luke. Maybe you can join us someday as a, as a guest. I think that'd be a great show. That would For be sure. awesome. We still ride with him, and he's a he's a pinner. So he might be. I mean, he's the charger. He's the charger. <laughs> <laughs> so I I uh, I went riding this weekend, and we can talk about it a little later. I went up to China Peak, which is up outside of Fresno in the Sierras, and one of the trailer trails was called Gnarly, and I thought of Luke. <laughs> Charring the gnar. Charring the gnar. <laughs> Awesome. All right. So um, on to shop news here. Just a couple things and new new bikes coming in. It's this is a it's a great time of year. A uh, lot of lot of cool stuff. Uh, we might have already talked about this, but the shop has the Giant Anthem Twenty Nine Advanced Pro One in stock, and it's on their website. And the aluminum version of that bike, which is like the same part spec with the aluminum frame. Man. For thirty one hundred bucks and weighs like twenty five ish pounds. Whew. Nice carbon rims. Giants nailing it. We got to talk about when I rode that bike, but let's come back to that. After okay, shopping. that's cool. So, so check that out. Um, Giant is nailing it. I think um, we 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 sing high praise about the um, uh, the trance, the trance lines, and and what a great value that is. So, anyways, it's my understanding that's a heavily Carl Decker influenced bike. Car, I got to eat some sushi with Carl last week at the Giant Launch, and he sure is stoked about that bike. <laughs> awesome. So a couple other things on the shop news front. The I saw in the um, in the front of the shop as you walk in, or the back, or the front, the back entrance, uh, the Santa Cruz Hightower 1 in the new colors. This is uh, white with blue trim. 
uh, and it's got uh, reserve wheels. It's a very cool Yummy. bike. Yes. I think it was the yeah, high tower one. XO XO tw- Eagle or XO 12 12 speed. Lots of speeds. Lots of speeds and reserve wheels on a 29er. Mm, I, wonder if, I wonder if I could send my my um Santa Cruz wheels back and ask them to build up a reserve reserve wheels on the hubs. No, but we could probably order you some reserve rims and put them on your hubs Ooh. down the line as long as they're 28 spoke. I believe they are. If you got them from Santa Cruz, they probably are. Yeah. No, you're right. They are. I know that. And then you'd still have that awesome lifetime replacement policy that just, if you break them riding them, you get new rims. So when that comes available, uh, let me know, please. Mm. (laughs) I think think sometime in September. Ah, cool. is Is my current understanding of that picture. Awesome. Maybe that comes available before the Nomad comes in. So, um, <laughs> moving on the, also in stock is the Santa Cruz chameleon. Those are back in stock with 2018 parts. Awesome. Awesome. A lot of fun stuff is back in stock. We got the one X reverb remotes back in stock. 30 of those came in and disappeared in like a matter of weeks and we we're out for a while and they're back in stock. $95 under the bar left sand, left hand reverb remote. It feels pretty good. Very it nice. It feels awesome. That that comes, uh, yeah, I tried that out, and then when I rode one of your bikes, Tawny, and then I went back to the regular reverb lever. Not mm-hmm. having it. Not having it. <laughs> it felt like poo. So yeah. we'll probably sell you like two or three of those probably. any day now. Yeah, exactly. How many reverbs do you have? He's <laughs> like two or three. <laughs> Bring it up. You know, this <laughs> is an interesting point with SRAM that I think is sort of shop news is that a lot of their cool new stuff is for a pretty reasonable price, retrofitable to the old stuff. So like if you have an old Reba, you can put the new SID charger damper in there. If you have an old Pike, you can put the new Pike charger damper in and save some weight and get the new features. Kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. It's nice that it's all cross compatible. I do have an old Reba. Hmm. Hmm. I have an old Reba too. Oh, yeah. I think it's about 350 bucks for that cartridge. Wow. You guys might be able to score a little better deals to your connections. Cool. Cool. And maybe at some point in the future, uh, Push might have a, an ACS advanced coil system, coil replacement for that air fork. Yeah, I'm yeah, really excited about that. We were texting about that yesterday. Was that? Did you learn about that through that text? I did. Nice. One more example of this podcast keeping me up to date in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so what's what's the news on that, Nathan? So, uh, Push is making air spring kits, and there's some more complexity Wait, to coil it. spring kits I'm for sorry. air shock air forks. That, correct. Sorry, I was thinking one thing. No apology necessary. <laughs> mouth went one way, head went the other way. Um, it's coil spring kit for uh, Fox Thirty Six and Pikes. Um, for now, right now you can, I think we could get you one today for a 36, 160 and Pike soon. Pike soon. Lyrics will not happen. And the path will be able to order these and maybe even stock them at some point. Um, and they're supposed to do the rest 140, 150, 160, 170. Looks like on their website, it just says not available yet. Right. And then the Pike is supposed to happen, but I did read somewhere that the Lyric will not happen. There apparently is not room inside the Lyric stanchion for that spring. Correct. Um, there's also, I think, uh, a bottom out control, a top cap air kind of system. So there is some ramp up control that comes with the kit. It's not just a spring and a rod and a cap. 
like there's more to it than that. It, but it generally converts it to spring with some additional control. And I think they retail for 389 bucks for the kit, which sounds like a lot, but it's pretty awesome. Yeah, because it's a combination air and coil, right? It's it's a coil with an additional and control element that's air controlled. Towards the if I if I was reading the article it correctly, it sounds like the air is primarily at the end ramp up. End of stroke. End yeah. of stroke. Mm-hmm. Darren's so smart. <laughs> no kidding. Darren is the push mastermind, and he is a mastermind. And it also looks like this has a very small coil at. That one end? That's probably the negative spring. Negative spring. Negative spring, right? I wonder if that's tunable. I wonder if you can get a different negative spring rate. Oh. Well, you know what? So I think you order them as a kit, so I bet oh, they're paired. I bet they are. Darren wouldn't give us bad negative spring tuning. <laughs> no. So basically, I, my guess is you send in your rider weight, they give you a spring recommendation, and then it comes as a kit, as a match set. Hmm. Money. Money. In a good way. Man. You yeah. give them money, they make your fork money. Yeah, Push is who I think originally got me like really solidly believing in kind of slower rebound. Darren at Push was the one who kind of like helped me set up my bike. And I was like, oh, I like how that feels. And I was like, rebound's really slow. But it's not that much slower than. You mean the rebound that Darren at Push set up on my bike 10 years ago? No, I don't know if that's the case. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> it was pretty slow. It was, like, shockingly slow. <laughs> no <That's>... pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing how close our rebounds are now, I think. Maybe. So I've recently started tuning based on the Russian dude from YouTube and the curb bounce you must have less oscillations right, going yeah. with that technique. Right, right, right. So what has that done for you? Well, what I was... tuned to the critical rebound point with only one oscillation. <laughs> Is that slower or faster? It's, for me, you? it was a little slower. Right. How many clicks in? I forget the count. Yeah. I mean, it's shock dependent, right? right, right so right, right. it's shock and spring rate dependent. But um, yeah, I just kept clicking it in until I was kind of watching the rocker and I'm like, okay. There was only one oscillation. This must be the critical <laughs> rebound point. I make fun, I but that guy good, is super it's smart. It's a good rule of thumb and a good starting point. Yeah. I've I don't been, think that's like the ultimate ultimate, but it's like pretty good. Right. Anyway, they, this guy does some YouTube videos. He analyzes suspension and stuff. He's well, pretty interesting. Actually. And He's probably really... for most riders, more than one oscillation is probably not that good. Probably. Uh, is that pretty much it for shop news? We're just kind of that's pretty much what's what's new in stock and stuff. I think that's pretty much it on my on my front. So, what else is new is that 2018 bikes are kind of pouring in every day, right? Information is coming out, and our staff is equipped. Our staff is prepared to, um get rid of the 2017 bikes because Mm. of this. So if there's a 2017 bike that you've been kind of eyeballing, now's the time to come kind of like talk to us about maybe getting the sale price before we put it on sale. Cool. Well, I think the, the, the high tower hasn't substantially changed. A lot of bikes haven't changed a lot. Yeah. And we've sold out on most of the high towers, right? So, like, if there's a straggler high tower around, 
it's a great, I mean, that's a great, you might have a really good chance to get a hot bike for a little bit of a deal because we are trying to get in the new colors. Right. But yeah. even maybe like the Kona processes or Hanzo's. Yeah. We, we had that, we had that Kona promo a while back and sold a bunch of Konas, but like if someone wanted to revisit that deal on something we still have left, we'd probably do that. Hmm. They're always they're always great bikes because uh, Kona two we're gonna see twenty eighteens really soon. We saw that spy shot of the carbon one fifty three. Yeah, so I mean, this isn't something we know exclusively. This floated around the gram. Yeah, and... I didn't sign a non disclosure. I'm like everyone else just saw the spy shot. <laughs> right. So <laughs> right. the new Kona process one fifty three. It looks like there's a carbon version, and it basically looks like. It looks very similar to a Transition Patrol. It's a rocker bike now, but not with a horse link. I would say the shock is angled more forward than a Patrol. It is, yeah. Which I'm going to translate that into a more progressive spring rate, I think, if my basic understanding of how that works. Probably. And it uh, looks like an obvious trunnion mount. Basically, it, so they're using the general suspension design from the operator and adapting that now to the, the process line. It it appears to be based on that spy shot. Sick. Yeah, it looks good. It looks good. It does. It's got the. It's got what I've come been calling the modern water bottle positioning, like a nomad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, modern water bottle positioning. It's like because like, it. you get that shock all low, and then you have to put the water bottle forward and up. Yep. Yeah, that looks. That bike looks awesome. It looks yeah. awesome. Check check out our links uh, when the when the show gets posted and and it or just go Google it. Yeah, nice links. Well, nice just links. just go onto Instagram and search for the hashtag process one fifty three and it'll pop up. You'll you'll find it. It's it's popped up probably at least a dozen places now. It's been like reposted over and over, and most of them are carrying the hashtag Kona process or Kona process one fifty three or process one fifty three. If you search for those hashtags, like it'll pop up. That's how I found it. That's cool. I Googled it. You, oh, it popped up on Google, not on Instagram? Or did it take you to Instagram? No, it takes you to, um, uh, let's see, one of the one of the bike forums, single track forum. Oh, okay. Single oh. track website forum. Ah, uh, okay. So, so it's popped up. It's, it's, probably, it's probably copied and posted there. Right. It's going viral. Yep. yep. Um, ah, gone viral. <laughs> it looks good. I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing the whole line because I... I I got to say, I have mentioned in the past that I think Kona should make mini operators. The process line should be adapted as mini operators. And so, yeah, especially it almost feels like that linkage design is a little more like um, firm pedaling uh, compared to the operator. The like, what do they call it? The, whatever linkage that was that the operator, that the processes had. Oh, yeah, the yoke swing link thing. Mm. Probably, I I mean, seem to have more anti squat to me. Probably, I haven't yeah. seen the curves. Gotta, <laughs> I gotta see the curves. Maybe maybe our YouTube Russian friend will uh, will run an analysis, and it will tell you what what percent anti squat and anti rise. That would be cool. That would be cool. Oh, problem. We have cut out. I lost everything. Yes, oh so. no, we're actually. Hang on. Stand by. Slight technical problem, but we're still actually okay. We're All back. Right. We we never left. <laughs> like Bob's big boy. Yep. Exactly. 
Well, let's let's just let's just not mess anything up because now we're on to one recorder. We don't have a backup. <laughs> well, that's why we have the that's why we have the backup. Exactly. We're like NASA over here. We Dang. we have redundant systems. We have redundant systems on our redundant systems. Well, when you get guests like Joe Graney, you have redundant systems. That's right. It Thanks. Would, it would not be cool if you're like, sorry, Joe, we lost it. Can you do it again? <laughs> Thanks to Nathan for the redundant systems. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. So, so tell us about writing the Anthem Twenty Nine Advanced Pro One. A little bit, maybe. Ock, I would love to tell you about that. <laughs> so I, I recently went up to – last week, Brian and I went up to Giant Bikes and hung out with those guys. And we did our annual kind of check out the new stuff. And we always do this every, – every year when they have us up there, we do this ride where we ride from Giant Headquarters up to the Backbone Trail for a, a, a second and then – down some fun single track and down to um, down to the beach. Cool, nice. They always have a barbecue at the beach, and it's always a good time. And I think one year I did the rain. One year I did a trance. Um, this year I rode the Anthem Twenty Nine, the Advanced Pro One, and um, it's a fast bike. I would say it climbs noticeably better than like my Tall Boy. Mm-hmm. like noticeably better and on those so, th- so those trails are like kind of classic kind of trail bike cross-country single track like fast and fun nothing too crazy but like some sneakers and some washouts and some bumps and some speed and some turns and i would i was like closer to high posting than i've been in a long time i had to like lower it didn't come with a dropper post so i had to like get out a tool and lower the post a little bit mm-hmm. and, and then it and then the post bottomed out before I could get it all the way down. So I was like pretty cl- – I think I was like three inches down maybe from high, full high post, which for me is pretty much full high post. Right. <laughs> but like bike was pretty confidence-inspiring. Full cross-country tires, um, high posting. And I was chasing um, Chris from Go Ride, who's a really good rider. And he was on a he was on a trance, so he was like having a lot more fun, like playing with lines and stuff. But like, the anthem was like carrying really good speed, on, like as long as you kept the turns really arcing. And I don't know, like it was an interesting comparison watching Chris really kind of um, play with the line selection a lot more and and ride with a lot more kind of input while I was more just like making these big arcing turns and just kind of like trying to keep, keep on his butt, just kind of different bikes, pushing different riding styles. And it was interesting, but I will say that Anthem, if you want a cross country race bike, that also is fun to ride. And it's like a real cross country race bike, like, um, like not a trail bike at at all, really like, right. It's a really good choice. And, and it's got a carbon rear end for the first time in a long time for giant, Oh, wow. Giant hasn't done a carbon rear end in a while. I think since the 26 Trance. 26 Trance Advanced. You you think correctly, Nathan. Yeah, 2016 Chance. Carl Barrow has that bike. So. Man. Had. I don't know if he still does. So Trunnion Mount, geometry-wise, it looks like it's checking a lot of boxes. Pretty XE. I mean, but like modern XE. Yeah, right. And you can put a dropper post on there, just 27.2. Okay. Right. But it's a regular round 27.2. Medium has a 437 reach. Pretty decent. What's the large? 455? 454, yeah. Ah. Bottom bracket. It's right there, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah that's totally. that's, that's uh, Kona Hei Hei length. 
Gen yeah. 1 process. And I will say, um, riding that reach with like, uh, I think probably a, I'm just going to guess maybe an 80 mil stem was on the bike hike road. Mm-hmm. Like it felt pretty long. Okay. Like I was like, maybe I could run a shorter stem on this. Nice. I'm really curious to see how Carl Decker sets his up for Downeyville this year. I'm going to say probably a 120 or a 130 fork. Dropper post, heavy tires. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet you he does better on the climb than he's done in a while. Like, I think yeah. that's a better climbing bike than anything he's had for a while from Giant. Nice. Okay. It's got a 45 millimeter drop, bottom bracket drop as well. That's solid. It's like 12. That- if you do, if you believe a 14 and a half inch, like, diameter on a wheel. Right. Well, that is half of 29, right? It is half of 29. No engineer, but. (laughs) (laughs) That would give you 12 and three quarters. Oh, nice. 90 mils travel, but yeah. Yeah. What is that in units of science? (laughs) (laughs) 438 chain stays, 17 and a quarter. That's not bad. Well, and for, I feel like for a bike like that, a little bit longer chain stays, just a little bit is acceptable because you get tired and those in and out of saddle transitions are a little easier with longer chain stays. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, so we don't talk about this a lot on the show, but I think we do get really into geometry and I think we should hit on this. And I really believe that short chain stays decrease the window of optimal traction. In other words, you might be able to dig in harder and get better traction with short chain stays than with long chain stays, but long chain stays generally are much more forgiving in terms of maintaining traction. They have a smaller window of balance mm. and position to maintain optimal traction. When climbing? Or, I mean, longer chain stays have a bigger window. Yes. Okay. So, like, when you feel like it's everything you can do to maintain enough traction to keep your forward momentum. Right. right. Shorter chain stays, a really skilled rider will be able to dig in and get better traction in just the sweet spot. But lo- in my opinion, but longer chain stays will be easier to just kind of maintain traction regardless of your position at your balance point. So okay. much more forgiving, much more, much easier transitions in and out of the saddle without losing traction. Got it. Okay. So like the tired rider who's in and out of the saddle a lot and maybe getting a little sloppy, I think short chain stays can be a little hard to manage. Got it. That sure. makes sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's been a lot of discussion out there in various forms. I mean, I I was talking to you guys. I was doing a lot of research this week just out of personal interest on these extremely long bikes, you know, the Nikolai Geometron and the Pole and things like that. And some of them are running longer chain stays. And so there's some discussion. There is kind of a, a swirling discussion right now about um, chain stay length and if super short chain stays have you know the pros and cons of chain stay length not just all shorter is better mm, sure yeah well i think every geometry move has trade-offs like yes. longer isn't just better lower isn't just better slacker right. isn't just better for certain things right De- yeah depending on what you want to get riders and situations and yeah I- agreed so i guess uh one of the reasons I was looking at it is, you know, I was riding a ski resort this weekend quite a bit and and it was fast and natural terrain and I kind of had it in my head that a longer bike might cut down fatigue in that scenario. Having more room in a, in a wider envelope to operate um, might cut down some of the fatigue of uh, a lot of a lot of descending and a lot of hard hard hitting gravity riding. Where Were you was able this? to test that theory? 
I wasn't. Um, I mean, I only had my bike with me, but I was kept thinking, I was like, man, if I had a little bit more room to breathe, this I might feel a little less tense in some of these uh, fast, hard-hitting terrain. What bike were you on? I was on my patrol. Up my, at China Peak? Yeah. Hmm. Do you guys want to... I don't want to derail it, but at some point, do you guys, uh, you guys want me to fill you in on... Yeah, that. of course. Let's, let's talk about China Peak. So okay. you're up there, you're riding your patrol, and you're feeling like a longer bike might be more relaxed. I have a question. Do you feel like your natural position on that bike leads to your kind of um, hips being fairly straight above the bottom bracket when you're out of the saddle and descending? Um, I felt like I was a little bit behind. Right. And which I, I wasn't liking as much. Which... which I think I agree with you then. Like, I really feel like a, a bike that leads to a natural downhilling position where your hips are right over the bottom bracket and you can scoot forward and back from there is going to lead to maybe the least fatigue. And so in that scenario, like one of the bikes I was looking at was the pole. And that's a one of these really off the wall, super long long freakish geometry bikes right well, like 50 millimeters longer than what you're riding 40 50 millimeter it, if i got that bike it would be 50 millimeters longer in the reach and i think the chain stays on my patrol are 430 millimeters this bike has 455 millimeter chain stays so it's an inch longer chain stay and a two inch longer front center Deals me, oh man. <laughs> Talk and, about a jealous girlfriend. <laughs> and like a 63 or 64. I think a 64 head angle and a 77 and a half inch seat angle. Oh, no. But it also has an extremely high bottom bracket. It has a minus 20 on a 29. That's high. Minus 20. Minus so 20. that goes with my theory that, you know, if you're, bi- if, you're, if you're doing a bunch of things with your bike design that lead to high speed stability and lack of low speed agility and you want to get some of that agility back you you raise the bottom bracket. So he may not he may not be way off mark. Right. Um that was one of the things that, so the bottom bracket's about the same height as a Trek slash but say a like the new Hightower LT from Santa Cruz has a minus 32 bottom bracket and this yeah. pole had a minus 20. So I really feel strongly that long chain stays go with high bottom brackets. Okay. And short chain stays go with low bottom brackets. Okay. I, and I, those two things complement each other and mitigate, mitigate each other's weaknesses. Interesting. Okay. So I guess looking at these two, um, I was looking at that and then the, you know, the Nikolai geometrons, um, and to my sorry to interrupt, oh, but to my okay. to, to I think it just occurred to me like kind of picture maybe I'm off because this is like a, an idea that's emerging as we're talking in my head, but like picture the bottom bracket kind of rotating around the rear axle, right? And like maybe some something about that relationship and why. Okay, longer chain stay means less drop because of that rotation, right? Long, uh, wait, in terms of one handling characteristics, like you don't need as much drop with a longer chain stay in order to have kind of a more similar rotational relationship, maybe. Possibly. I think you're on, on to something about that. So I guess the the more the reason I was really keying in on the longer chain stays, and at first I saw that, and of course my natural inclination was like, oh my gosh, those are way too long. But I was like, well, wait a minute. I'm trying to find a bigger window 
of front to back mm-hmm. comfort space, like a bigger sweet spot in the bike. And yeah. if the wheel's farther behind me, I can lean, I can get behind the bottom rack and not feel like I'm behind the bike. Right. Correct. And although there is the thing where your your muscular structure is going to support you best when you're directly over the bottom bracket. Right. And so if I'm trying to get behind the bike, let's say, I can be over this bo- the bottom bracket. So that's a hand- so like separating the handling characteristic issues from right. the like supporting your own weight fatigue issues. Right. So like But if there's more wheel behind me, I'm less inclined to push myself farther back. Or I can push myself farther. You can back. push yourself further mm-hmm. back, which okay. may lead to more like quad soreness and more less ability to kind of fluidly and I absorb get bumps. So, and and the other thing I noticed um, at China Peak was that the first couple runs, I felt like my fork was too soft, and I stiffened up my fork quite a bit and felt way better for the rest of the weekend. Is it steep there? It's steepish. Yeah. Right. So, like when I was riding in Oregon, it was a little less steep, and I felt like I needed to soften my fork. Right. Mm. I was hard on the brakes. It was a lot of braking. It was steep. It was loose. It was rocky. So a lot of hard edges. So it's like almost the opposite. Oregon is where I was riding. It's like fast shoots into like fast. Keep it going. Don't touch the brakes. Just like stay right. off the brakes and maintain speed for as long as you can through this series of turns. And like right. Long, long downhills for what felt like a less amount of climbing than yeah. we're used to. The opposite. In of Oregon. And yeah. China Peak, it's. Yeah. So I guess uh, <laughs> uh, just a quick rundown on China Peak. So it's out, outside of Fresno in the Sierras. It's a small ski resort. that Western Sierra? Western Sierras. What is that, like a couple hundred miles north of Grapevine? Or? Uh, yeah, it was a ways from like Bakersfield and the Grapevine. Um, that, that takes maybe two hours to get to, and this was six hours away. Okay. So another four hours north of that. How far off the five? Uh, two hour. Well, it was off the ninety nine. Okay. Uh, so so that's that sneaker freeway that you can end up on if you're going five north and like you don't get to the left after if you're, the grapevine. If you're headed north in California and you hit Bakersfield, if you want to go towards Fresno from Bakersfield, you go up the ninety nine. If you want to go towards Sacramento, you go up the five. Yeah, I think I've ended up on that by accident when I was like tired. Yeah, e- easy fun. to do when you're going through Bakersfield. Um. But anyway, go to Fresno, and the, there's some high mountain lakes up there, and most people are up there lake recreating, sailing and boating and fishing. Really, really nice lakes, and they're really full right now and crystal clear, and uh, temperature was nice. And uh, the trails up at China Peak, most people know them from the California Enduro Series stop, and that's how I kind of learned about it, and I decided just to go and check it out. And um, lots of... Uh, you know, I would say a medium amount of mountain bike trails, more so than Snow Summit here in California, but less than like a major, like say Angel Fire, less, way less trails than Angel Fire. Um, it had about 1,500, 1,700 vertical feet on the lift, um, you know, eight or 10 trails of varying skill and ability that all interconnected in different ways. You could go from this trail, this trail, this trail. They have any like true double blacks? They did have a true double black. Um it was pretty burly. Um, a lot of blacks, and the blacks were fun. Actually, the greens were even fun. I, I did all the trails on on the mountain. Um, I rode there Saturday and Sunday. Um, but the trails are not like bike park trails. These are the one of the um, one of the bike patrol guys described it. He's like, "This is old school mountain biking, and it's just trails cut through the woods, and they're rocky, they're loose, they're off camber, they're difficult. Um, they're not." 
buffed out and maintained. Um, they are nice cut trails, but they're not like they're not bike. This isn't a bike park. Ooh, sounds fun. So. It really does. And I will say too, like when the team and the customers and and just people I know come back from China Peak, they're always stoked. Yeah, like from races yeah. and just trips. It's a it's a super uh, it's a really pretty mountain town too. It's the, the town's called Lakeshore, um, and it's at, off this place called Huntington Lake, and it's super cool. Um, and very few people were up there. Uh, I met one poor bastard that drove from uh, San Francisco for the day. It was a five hour drive, and he did a day trip. Nice. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, dude. Oh, well done, man. poor bastard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I felt bad for him, but. Fairly reasonable lift ticket, thirty nine bucks. Oh, and if you're into frisbee golf, they have frisbee golf on the mountain too. That's off. That that's often at ski resorts. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a thing that kind of goes hand in hand. Mountain summer mountain ski resorts often have frisbee golf courses. Um, but uh, yeah, highly recommend for a trip. It's the Bring unfortunate your corduroy cutoffs in case you want to play some frisbee golf. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And your board shorts, if you want to take a dip in the lake. Oh, there's a really cool, well-running stream right through the center of the base area. Catch me a trout. Yeah. Man, let's let's go. Lou always catches trout when he's up there. Oh, does he? Yeah. And a lot of fishing I've activity. I've got my fishing poles in my van right now. <laughs> Quite so I a... caught like a maybe a three-pound bass in the Willamette while I was up in Oregon. It was pretty cool. Very cool. Very cool. Nice. Yeah, we could. Uh, man, that looks that looks like fun. It's it, it was cool. I I would I would highly recommend and um, and they're only open Saturdays and Sundays. Um, uh, bring a roll of duct tape. The lift loading is a little. You, you're gonna see the points at which your bike's rubbing on the on the <laughs> chair. So just throw get one of those get one of those little small rolls of Gorilla Tape from Home Depot and just throw it in your pocket and take a look and then just slap a couple pieces of tape if you're fussy about your bike getting scratched. Maybe one of the best progressions of technology in my lifetime is the progression from regular duct tape to Gorilla, to gorilla Tape. That That is a that and is a solid progression. Make no mistake, duct tape was freaking incredible. <laughs> there was no limit to the beauty of duct tape. And they improved it. Yeah. Gorilla. They made it better. Gorilla for sure can always be better. I, I'm a big fan of the little one-inch wide rolls of Gorilla Tape you can get for a few bucks at Home Depot. Every time I'm there, I like, grab an extra roll. and I, yeah. Those I like are great. I just stash those around different places in my life. Yep. Keep them around. Keep them handy. Yeah, the big rolls of the three-inch or the two-and-a-half, three-inch, those are burly. That's but burly. But you can rip those into one-inch, no, no problem, too. You can, but the one-inch is really good to keep in your pack if you're ever doing an Epic because in ver- sometimes people have rim strip issues. I've I've retaped a rim with that tape. Is that like having trail. sex with a specialized you were just talking about? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Doing an epic. Doing an sorry. epic. <laughs> okay, so we don't talk a lot about brands, about this brand, but did you guys notice the new specialized is not horse link? Yes. I. How weird is that? It's flexi link, isn't it? It's flexi link. Flexi? I didn't, I didn't know that. How bizarre, right? It's basically a scalpel. Yeah. Yeah, why would they move away? With a well, brain. and I think they're doing speed balance geometry um, offset on the fork. They are. It's reduced offset. Mm-hmm. That shit is speed balance, dog. <laughs> SBG. That's SBG, not SBD. All right. So, yeah, some people like more offset. Some people like less offset. 
But did they rake out the fork like? You it's mean not the, full. You mean the head the, angle? The head angle, sorry. I'm yeah. sure it's I'm the sure head it's angle slacker. is not slack. Is not. New. It's not super slack, even by modern XC standards. I don't think. Interesting. The just riding a long show actually had a pretty cool discussion about this. Cool. They, they've ridden it. Cool. Head on over to just riding along and get the lowdown. JRA. Very cool. So so China Peak. Cool. What about El- um should we have we talked through China Peak, Nathan? Yeah, I think so, unless you guys had any other questions about it, but I, I would just say if When are we going? <laughs> soon. Um yeah, if you're in the California area I mean it was a it was a hoof for a weekend. I mean a six hour each way, but that's I, not I that big it. of a deal when we're like in the van like faux podcasting. Very laying true. Pearls, right. la- laying pearls of podcast on the man floor. <laughs> <laughs> that's always a, that's always an option. I mean, I'll just go sleep in the back. <laughs> can... Drive, drive. <laughs> yep. No, more we could probably record a podcast while we drive up there. You know, we've said this three times. <laughs> I know. We always yeah. just faux podcast. Maybe yep. this is maybe this is one of those things. Yeah, we should try it. We could Facetime each other and get good quality. I always <laughs> say that walling, but you never do it. <laughs> You're that guy. <laughs> I think I say it all the time too. I, I think we even brought the gear one time when we went up to Summit. I think we did. I've been carrying my microphone around with me everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And as we found out, good thing we had it. And then when we went to record a podcast, I used the Apple headphones. (laughs) Exactly. FaceTime and the Apple headphones. Yeah, we just called you on your phone. That that was was pretty awesome. Nice. So um, other bike adventures, Tawny, uh, you'd mentioned you rode up at Alpine. Yeah, I met up with Shadon in Oak Ridge um, about an you know what? Maybe we should frame this in the context of a listener question because we got a listener question about this, and we might as well deal with like check check that box. <laughs> deal <off>. with it. <laughs> All right. So so Jay says I'm moving to Eugene, and I love that you mentioned the trails, but I can't figure out which ones you were talking about. Help. So in the last podcast, I talked about a trail called Goodman's Creek, and um, from from Eugene, you would head out on Highway 58. And towards Oak Ridge, and it's maybe 30 or 40 minutes as you pass Dexter. You'll see the Dexter Dexter Reservoir on your left, and you'll see the covered bridge. And then on your right, you'll see a trailhead. And you can take the fire road up, and you can let, you can take the Eagles Rest Trailhead up, which is above good, the Goodman Creek Trail, do an out and, out and back on the Eagles Rest Trail, and then come down Goodman Creek. That's a lot of fun. Or you can head out to Oak Ridge. Let me rewind. While you're in that Goodman Creek area, that that ride itself is like we talked about on the last podcast. It's like hour or two of climbing and a good 45 minutes of descending. Good ride. And you can connect that to Lawler, which would add another hour or two of climbing. There's a bunch of different trails out in that area from that trailhead. Um, and like epic, like a lot, you could spend, you know, 10, 20 hours exploring that area probably. And, um, the guy who took me out to get the Goodman Creek trail had gotten, when he first moved there, 
he went out there and got lost and accidentally did like a 14,000 foot elevation day by himself. Oh, like God. He, he accidentally did it up and over the wrong ridge line and back up and over and like, Oh no. Yeah. But he, he, he loved it. He had a good time. But, uh, so that's a great area or you can head another 20 minutes or so out the 58 to Oak Ridge and you can either pedal or take the, sh- the shuttle. Um, it's the Willamette Valley Mercantile, I believe, is the name of the bike shop that the shuttle runs out of, and they're a really cool shop. They sell Santa Cruz and other other brands that we sell. And I met Shadon, um, Shadon of SoCal fame, BGR, etc. He worked at some shops around here, and he's a big part of the SoCal scene. But we met, and we we did the shuttle, and we rode we rode the Alpine Trail, which is kind of known as kind of the jewel of the area. I get the impression it's like a little, there's some, some more tech out there, but the really good, like high speed flow through the woods for a really long time. So they shuttled us up. Um, and then we paddled like for another, like maybe thousand or 1500 feet of climbing over me over, you know, a few miles. It was kind of like doing, it was kind of like getting shuttled maybe to the top of like, um, if you could do it, like getting shot, shuttled to like the top of old camp or something and then pedaling up another 1,500 feet or something, you know what I mean? Like it was a good shuttle and then we pedal up a little more and then you have this great descent. Okay, and cool. And the descent. I think I think the all-time Strava time for the climb and the descent is like 45 minutes and I think it took us like an hour and a half or something. Like, Okay. It's like a good climb and then a good, good long descent. Cool. Um, Recommended, and there's lots of extra credit off that that you can do, and other shuttles that you can do, and other cross country loops that you can do. Really cool little town, small population, cool little roadside cafe with grass fed burgers that are tasty. So, I would say Oak Ridge is one of those. If you like, um, like loam and trees and riding in the shade and high speed, kind of flowy single track. Oak Ridge might be one of those hidden gem places. Nice. Not a lot of crowds, pretty low cost, really mellow scene. Cool. Really beautiful. Sweet. I mean, the scenery is off the hook. Anthem 29 country. Mm, I would say no. I would say um, like trail bike country. Like I was on my Bronson and, and I didn't feel overbiked. If I was riding cross country, I'd probably be happier on the tall boy, but I wouldn't want Anthem 29. There right. is like some pretty fun high speed. Put it this way. I, on, on the Goodman Creek trail, I flatted and it turned out that I had put something through the casing of my tire and then out through the bead. So I, I plugged the casing and it sort of was holding and it was still losing air out the bead where whatever had gone through the casing did a through and through out through the bead. Too. Right. Oh wow. And um Yeah, like the guy was riding so Shadon was on something pretty all mountain trail, I can't remember what, and the other guy I was riding with had I think he had what's that brand Aaron Gwyn rides for? YT. YT. I think he had a new YT and it was like a 140, 150 travel, 29 full suspension. Oh yeah. It's like called it's the, the Jeff C. Like it's the kind of, it, 
it's a lot like our riding, except that it's through the trees and not as steep, but still, but faster. So you, and still lots of bumps and like, like boost over this fallen tree or like, you know, optional boost over this ride. Like you could maybe go kind of right and around a little rise a little bit or boost over it and stuff like that. Like lots of really fun stuff. So I wouldn't say full cross country. I would say like high speed trail. Nice. Okay. Cool, man. Man, we, we got to organize another road trip here. ASAP. <laughs> Weekends work the best, though, right? Yep, pretty much. <laughs> Us working stiff. <laughs> um, so that pretty much covers the the dude's question about Oregon trails. I put it in answered questions. Nice, awesome. Did you guys want to talk about uh, the majors question? Yeah, that sounds good. Questions? Okay, I'm ready. All right did did you want to did you want to uh, present the majors question? Yeah. So. Benjamin says, I often have this conversation about CX bikes. I think that CX bikes should typically be used for CX racing as they tend to have geo for CX racing. I currently have a Santa Cruz Tigmata and that is a good blend of gravel grinder and CX geo for something a little less expensive. Maybe oh, check. Oh, actually, you're reading, the you're reading my response. Holy mackerel. I did the exactly same thing. I'm like, whoa, Nanner sounds a lot like Nathan. This is like <laughs> our biggest flub yet. Uh, no, second. that's okay. Nanner is I, Nathan. So I did re- I did respond um, okay. directly, but we, I guess we wanted to my use mistake. this question as a discussion point here. Expand a little First, bit. First, I'm in the Marine Corps, and I live in South Orange County. I'm taking orders to the Pentagon this summer, and I'm hoping to commute. I ride a high, t- high tower right now, and that won't work. I've been thinking about getting a road or cyclocross bike to commute. I was thinking about road miles to get stronger for the trail riding. East Virginia terrain isn't like it is out here, so I figure I could use a cross bike on the trails as well as the road. Advice on what to get, or should I go another way? So th- this is rele- relevant to a conversation I had with Brian like two days ago while we were trying to figure out what our 2018 ordering strategy is for the, for the kind of like gravel adventure road touring cross categories. And Brian brought up his point was kind of like, well, you know, a lot of people get cross bikes to like ride the Santa Ana's and like ride mellow or single track. And they kind of find that like a 23, like a 25, 28, 32, Tire, like a cross tire, isn't that fun to ride off road on? Was kind of Brian's point. It, it right. kind of isn't. Yeah, it kind of isn't. It kind of is. It kind of depends what kind of fun you're looking for. Right. <laughs> capital F, capital U, capital N. Right. <laughs> I think we talked early in the show about um, a certain kind of fun that's more of an acronym for fucked up, nasty stuff. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, I think Brian kind of had a point. So it's, it's tough to say, but I think there's this great new cat. Like there's a real, there's a lot of new bikes coming out right now that can take like a 45, 50 millimeter tire. Right. And still have like geometry. That's pretty road friendly. I had a guy in the shop today who wants to like be able to like do club road rides and still ride some mount, ride some off road. And he's looking at a stigmata. We're doing some research. It takes up to like a 40 mil tire. Mm-hmm. I have 40s on mine. 
So what's your comment on riding the stigmata off-road? So I think the stigmata, I, you know, I, I don't have the geometry of cross bikes versus gravel bikes versus road bikes really like fresh on my, in my knowledge. I think cross bikes have a little higher bottom bracket. Right. And, and so the, the stigmata was kind of a blend between a gravel grinder kind of bike and a cross, cross bike. Um, and so the stigmata is a little bit on the outside. Um, but I, my mentality is I typically think that cross bikes, uh, Cross bikes tend to be intended for cross racing and a lot of times aren't the funnest thing to ride around for long periods of time or be like single track substitutes. Would you say that's true of the stigmata? I think the stigmata kind of bridges the gap a little bit. Um, I did get this. um, So I'm kind of, you know, typically on a bike choice, you kind of hinge on two sizes and often you can go both ways. In my case on the stigmata, I got smaller for because i got it for cross racing so major benjamin may be on the right track he he may my my recommendation to him was um if you're gonna do a lot of commuting um you know look at more of a gravel grinder style bike or if you are like maybe the did you see the new giant um tough road yeah maybe something like that um but if you're going to find your way onto a lot of single track, what I said to consider is like an XC 29 or hardtail with maybe even a rigid fork and like some skinnier tires. Kona unit converted to gears. Something like and, that. And you get you get the plus wheels and, and like a road 29 wheel set. What about like, um, I'm a long time work commuter on my bicycle. Yeah, we all commute to work. It's just like I do mine on a bicycle, right? Um, and I've, boy, I think I've tried actually. I used to commute on a Ellsworth Joker. <laughs> nice <laughs> a six, six inch travel. <laughs> we would call it an enduro bike these days, right? Yeah. And that's what I started on. But uh, I've moved on to many different things, um, including uh, Indy Fab Planet Cross Cross Bike. Mm-hmm. Running slightly fatter tires, probably in the 35 uh, range. You want to tell the bike thieves your address? Excuse me? No, just kidding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, anyways, um, one of the things, and I, and I have taken that off-road and kind of find that same experience that, you know, the cross bike on single track is a s- certain type of fun that maybe I wasn't looking for. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, but what I have been commuting on for quite some time now is a Salsa Fargo. Right. And so it's kind of, it's an adventure bike. So, right. But you have full like XC mountain bike tires. On I have it. full XC mountain bike tires running two and a, two and a quarter uh, mountain bike tires. Right. Um, I've gone back and forth running everything from this tire uh, all the way down to like a 1.8 uh, type and it goes faster with the 1.8. Uh, it seems funner on single track with the two and a quarter. Right. I've got uh, wood chipper drop 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 bars. That's there. a that's a salsa handle bar that's really shallow and it's flared. Uh, yeah, I guess really flared out. That's right. what I describe as like shallow. Right, shallow and, and, and so when I think shallow, I think low drop. Yeah. Okay. So that's not the right word, but but it's flared, flared out. Right. Yeah, flared right. drops. Yeah. So that tends to give you a little bit more hand position and and for riding a 
if you're not used to writing drop bars on single track, it makes it a little bit more comfortable. So that's your main commuter now. That is my main commuter. So what's now. driving you to ride that over your road bike? Uh, there's a dirt trail that parallels parallels the uh, the the asphalt bike trail. Mm. So I get to ride this, and there's like there's one little like where you cross underneath a, a an overpass. There's one little like 15 foot dirt segment drop <laughs> and i like so hitting on that. that every day oh every day yeah it's the funnest <laughs> part of my commute um nice. but i have taken this i've actually put um uh a suspension fork on it for a little while i don't have it right now but i've, I've ridden it with a suspension fork 80 mil suspension fork and for riding that setup on single track even slightly i wouldn't call it aggressive but you know single track uh, a little bit little bit chunky that is a lot of fun uh, i'm riding it rigid right now and that's that's another option right so i want to throw one more thought out to the major and it's basically he, you know you're, you're going to do some road miles to build your your strength and i think that's a great idea and if you're going to do it on your own i don't think it matters too much what bike it is as long as you're comfortable on that bike right right if but- you're going to do it in kind of a club ride scenario you're going to need a bike that you can keep up on. Right. Right. And that, that starts getting into road bike territory. Right. And, and that is, that's a good point. If, um, you know, for me, my commute is seven miles each way. And so whether I ride my road bike or I ride the, you know, even my tall boy, if I pedal that into work, it's, it's a three to five minute difference. And so it's not that big of a difference, but if you were to have like a 10 or 15 mile, uh, commute, that's where I think looking more towards a road or or cross. Or if you're going to ever ride. try to hang in a pace line while you're riding for fitness. Right. Exactly. The question exactly. is, are you trying to make time or not? All right. right. So should we move on to paragraph number two? Sure. Yeah. Part number two of a three-part question. All right. Second, I'm a pilot and I do dangerous things. But I'm 41 and I don't want to get hurt. I find myself scared on the tougher trails, mostly the downhills. I don't go fast and so... I'm often the last guy on the ride. I have a bike that will eat the trails up. I'm the problem. I've been riding since the early 90s on a rigid breezer, but I'm still a beginner and I suck. I watch these videos of these guys ripping up the trails and going off these crazy jumps, and I wonder if I'm even doing the same sport. What advice on how to increase my trail mojo? So I think this is a good opportunity to just kind of I'm going to give a small comment at the beginning that has not too much to do with the question, but you know how like a lot of people talk about like start on a hard tail to build your skills. I I have heard that many times. I sort of agree with them, but I also see where a lot of people who like go that route, like always ride like cross country riders and never ride like gravity riders. I Mm. think that's, that happens often. That's my problem. So that being said, I got my little jab in on that 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 concept. Um, I think there are some things you can do to kind of like help with that transition towards confidence and smoothness. And I think start with just like in front of your house, like go ride up, you know, like where your driveway meets the road and there's like the transition to the curb from the driveway. Yep. Like, go make a little bit of a turn and, like, let your rear wheel catch that transition and slide a little bit and get used to, like, your rear wheel sliding. And um, 
little like low speed neighborhood kind of tricks to like get yourself used to the idea of the bike moving around stuff like that. Do some of the stuff we talked about on the show, like disconnecting the bike from the rider so that the bike leans without the rider. I think one of the suggestions I had is, um, try to dig up some of the Fabian Burrell videos. Those are always some good, good content. Yeah. I think a lot of people skip to the fun stuff and like the ripping riders giving suggestions for ripping. Right. And I think there's a lot of fundamentals that we all can work on and expect like even, even advanced riders can benefit from going back to, but, but like a real beginning rider, it's just like learning to pick the front wheel off the ground, learning to pick the rear wheel up off the ground, learning to weight the front wheel. So the rear wheel drifts, learning to reweight the rear wheels to end the drift, like learning to initiate a a two wheel drift and end a two wheel drift, like playing around in some gravel and like, just practicing getting the bike to get into a drift. Right. Like, yeah. Well, and a lot of the, I think a lot of the best riders to your point of learning to ride like a gravity rider, a lot of kids start out say in BMX or get kind of a cheap mountain bike when they're young. And one of the things I think that does a lot of good building in that beginning is for lack of a better way of putting it is that childish curiosity about what, what can this thing do? Let's build a jump. And they, when you're a kid, that can keep you entertained for hours. And you're like, let me try this again. Let me try this again. Let me try this again. And so I think a lot of people who started riding mountain bikes when they were in that phase of childhood, and it's that phase where like you're in the swimming pool and your dog tired and you just, your parents like, get out of the swimming pool. And you're like, no, (laughs) I'm keep going. And you're that way when you first get your bike, that translates really well and builds really good foundation. But I think a lot of adults that start mountain biking, don't get to use that, like apply that childish curiosity and excitement. Got to get stoked. You got to get stoked and you just got to like, oh, let me try it again. Let me try it again. Let me try it again. And also I would say do some shuttling or park riding. Yes. Because lots of there's a, there's, there's a thing that happens when you're not, a, when you still have all your explosive energy and you're not a little worn down from pedaling up a big hill. Right. And, and when you, and you can really work on that like finer finer edge of downhilling where that's that's your game for the day and you don't have to worry about like saving a little bit for that gnarly climb back to the car right would agree with that definitely um any other thoughts before we go to part number 3 um i i think just kind of expand a little bit on what you were saying about shuttling or downhilling it's what you ascend and and it kind of ties the same thing to what I was saying of like when you're at that childish curiosity age, it's all about repetitions. Yeah. And one more thing is look for the flow state, find the flow state and try to like spend time in the flow state. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes, sometimes that means riding by yourself without the pressure of keeping up with, with the other folks for sure. Yes. And so, and, and when you're by yourself, you can go find that flat gravel area where you could, Star like you know, like when you're a kid, the first thing you did you, is you wanted to see how far you could skid your bike. You know, <laughs> right. you know that type of exactly experimentation on a flat gravel area to practice cornering yeah. and what have you. Well, and I, I think you know if your goal is to kind of you know learn to ride downhill better and ride more aggressively. Um, I mean, I've noticed there's a lot of 
it depends on what circle of people you you find yourself riding with a lot because there are certain groups of people that take riding mountain bikes say at their local trails more as like a little social like a running gathering where it's like more of a fitness thing versus this is where doing some shuttling or going to a bike park all of a sudden okay this is about shredding trail not about fitness and so at some point you almost have to decouple the fitness part out of it for a period of time and you're still going to use your fitness you're still going to use it. trust me i still run out (laughs) right but you're going to focus on that gravity side of it so it's it's reps it's time it's like it's like almost like saying i want to be a great downhill skier but you're a cross-country skier like you're never going to learn how to shred alpine skiing if you're focusing on cross-country skiing you got to go ride the lift and do and like ride bulk up with, maybe yeah. ride with some freestyle skiers or something or right something. and if you spent a good month riding downhill skiing and then jump back on your cross-country skiing every time you pointed downhill on your cross-country skis you're gonna be way better exactly all right part three lastly maybe it's the oc san diego area but the demographics of riders I meet are reasonably white, male, and wealthy. There are a lot of women out there, but they are outnumbered by men quite a bit. I get comments from young young Marines when they see my bike and they say they want to go ride. But the conversation usually leads to how expensive it is and how intimidating it can be to get into the sport. What can I do as a leader to get these young men and women of action into the sport? I think that's a great question. And I think yeah. it's a question like as a those of us who are in the industry trying to kind of grow the pie, so to speak, are always asking ourselves. And I think even those of us that are lifers in the sport have all had friends or loved ones or family members that we have tried to get in and they haven't stuck or – you know, it's it's how do you introduce someone new into the sport, just in general. I, th- I yeah. thought that was I thought that was the really cool part about his question and a really broad conversation topic. So I want to point out some things that so so right off the bat, I would point out to those people that this is a very inclusive sport, and I would try to help them understand that they're going to be welcomed on the trail, usually probably like <laughs> compared compared to most actions, mountain biking can be very intimidating. But compared to most action sports, the actual culture of it is actually very welcoming. How would uh, would you even compare it different to like surfing? I think surfing is a great example of the opposite. Right. But even compared to like action, so surfing is very territorial, and I would say um, very. Com- there's a fierce competition between the surfers for the waves and for the spots, and surfing the surfing culture tends to be pretty intolerant of like boogie boarders and knee boarders and stand up paddle boarders and anything similar to them. That's not exactly the same. And the long boarders and the short boarders have a rivalry like more so than like say the antagonism between like roadies and mountain bikers, I would say Mm. even just like long boarders and short boarders. Okay. So, Mountain biking, on the other hand, there's much more greeting and welcoming and help and right. encouragement. Like, you will not see a surfer encourage a stranger who is surfing. You will absolutely see a mountain biker encourage a mountain biker who is, right. is mountain biking. Right. Um, so I'd point out to them that maybe this, the culture is going to be more welcoming than they think because it's it's an expectation that I feel like is, they're 
I can deliver on. And that's going to put them at ease a little bit. Like, Hey, like this isn't, this isn't a sport where you can, where you should expect to see a lot of judgment and exclusion and elitism. And it's natural to feel that way because you're an outsider and because every, and because there's these insiders who are like experts and into it and who know each other and stuff. But by and large, most of those people are actually really welcoming and helpful. I would agree. So I would try to get them into that mindset. Um, I would, I would maybe utilize some of the rental opportunities that the path and other bike shops have to try to help them get out there with a lower commitment level and see if they like it. Um, I think the trickiest part is qualifying the new rider to see what trails they're ready for and what they're not, because you want them to be challenged and to have a good time and to have an adventure, but you don't want them to be discouraged. I, I have made this mistake many times as you know, I, I learned to ride at an early age and I would say, you know, arguably got to an expert level relatively early and my ability to gauge at me as a rider, my ability to gauge someone new sure. into a proper trail was way off. So a lot of times we under overestimate the new rider's ability to deal with gnarly terrain, but a lot of times we underestimate it too. I found myself way underestimating the terrain. Right. Which is the right. probably more common problem and more dangerous problem. Yeah. But I've also taken, you know, you find someone who's athletic and, and adventurous and you're like, oh, we're going to go do, you know, we're going to go do Dripping trail, Cave Trail on Aliso. And right. like they don't even break a sweat. Right. You know right. what I mean? And it's like, okay, I guess I undershot that one. Like, yeah. So it can go both ways. Like, Right. right. And, and part of that discussion as well is gauging, are they overestimating or underestimating? Yeah. And so kind of trying to figure out where they're at because so many people you meet, yeah, I mountain bike or yeah, I ride bikes. And and then you kind of get them out there and you're like, oh, yeah, it's you don't really ride bikes. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's been, you know, 20 years since you threw a leg over a bike. And so so that's always a challenge as well is right. to, to try and gauge where they're at. So if you're taking someone else new, be flexible. Right. Or have take them to an area with some like flexibility, um, maybe a more riding area with trails where you can do a little trail, see how things go, and then have options after that versus a big epic loop that's like all committing. Yeah. Maybe a feel out ride that's short and then go from there too. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, definitely. What about trying to guide people to like they don't have a bike and you know, they're maybe a couple rides into it and they're like, this is just way too expensive for me. Like what, I guess, you know, part of it is what's way too expensive, but what's a reasonable like entry point for a safe bike that's not going to break the bank. Man, that the, I think the answer to that question has a lot of shades, but I think if you can get a thousand dollar hardtail, you're probably going to get something pretty good. Right. Yeah, you can you can have some reliable, safe fun. I think that um, like that six seven hundred dollar hardtail new is viable, but um, if you can afford it, it's worth the difference to get something a little better. I think that's a great right. point. Like you look at the Kona line, and that six seven hundred dollar is viable. But when you get up to the thousand dollar, it's it if you can afford it, it's it's worth that jump. They're still at that point where you're getting a lot for each extra dollar you spend. Right. Correct. 
Correct. Exactly. I think you'd be able to take that six or seven hundred dollar bike out and and ride it safely and and have and have have a good time. It's just that again for that four four hundred dollars more, you're gonna get thousand dollar one. You could race at like a moderate level, right. pretty successfully. Yeah. No, like. I agree. I agree. Yeah, so that's I think that's reassuring, you know, especially now and you know and Nanner talks about in his in his question kind of Orange County San Diego area. So if that is kind of the type of people that he's interacting with are, you know, you know, d- decently well off or whatever, you know, whatever that have a little bit of extra money available to them. Uh, expendable income that and if you can help people find others who are kind of around their riding level that can be really helpful agreed and women are always welcome to our women's ride every other wednesday women's wednesdays it's more of an intermediate ride but they're very inclusive and and encouraging and helpful right yeah and from time to time the path does a beginner ride which is uh definitely a good opportunity for beginners and i think what you'll find is you know not that the the you know intermediate and advanced riders will you know do all their rides with beginners but you know they're every one of those riders knows that that was them at one point and someone most of the time took the time to introduce them to the to the sport too and so oftentimes you'll find you know more advanced riders willing to say like yeah hey i'll, I'll take you out and show you you know and, and kind of you know Take you around. Well, and I really feel like having rides that aren't totally pinned is a really important part of my riding experience and training. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point as well. So, so yeah, it's a win-win. Yeah, and so and you know if if a more advanced rider does say, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll be more than happy to ride with you, like take them up on it because they're not good, and don't feel bad that you're you know, quote, holding them back or what have you. That's right. It's all about expectations, right? There's nothing more enjoyable for me is to take that time to, to see someone um, enjoying themselves on the ride for the first time or the second time. Or take her up on it. Yeah. Right. Or take her up on it. Right. <laughs> you know, there, there was an interesting story I read recently. Um, you know, Sid, Sid and Mackie do a lot of blog posting and, and videos van life racing couple and one of the articles they wrote recently was um uh about sid uh riding with mackie all the time and her kind of you know he's faster his friends are faster she found herself saying sorry all the time like oh sorry i'm slow sorry 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 and so she made a, a i think a really good conscious effort to change that and say instead of when you're inclined to say oh sorry for holding you up jay thanks for waiting for me I thought that was a really interesting thing, kind of uh, applicable to uh, riding with a, a better rider or someone takes you riding. Um, I think uh, the intimidation factor comes out in and is manifested when you find that a lot where slower riders say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I would say not only is that great advice for riding, but I'd say that's great advice for communication and business. Very much. So, like, if... I found this to be a very powerful way of communicating, whether it's an email or verbal communication, um, to to apologize to someone for something leaves a residue, in my opinion, of awkwardness and general less good feelings than to thank someone for their gracious 
patience and, and or whatever it was that they contributed to make it okay the thing you want to apologize for right it's and you can use both in the same sentence and that is i apologize for or you know sorry for holding you up thank you for waiting yeah i mean that's really powerful and i would re- i personally i reserve that for like i really messed up right <laughs> and that's <laughs> like very bad. that's very true like accepting responsibility for that you, you really don't need to apologize when you're the last rider in a, in a group ride like i mean that that's more definitely like hey thanks for waiting you know thanks for waiting for me that's great it, you, it's not like you're at some major fault or you screwed up because you're the last guy up in the, on the or you got a flat or whatever i drank all what night last night and that's why you guys are waiting for me and i'm sorry and thank you for waiting for me that is <laughs> that is a good that is a good use of that yeah. <laughs> illustration yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I thought it was a good article, and it might be, you know, as we were talking about new writers being intimidated, um, yeah, might might come up from time to time. No, that's great. I, that's a great, great uh, blog mention. Yeah, but it's also it's just a strong position to take to show to show to show regret and to ask for forgiveness is what I would say why can be a wise move and can show. Can show it's great to show that consideration, but to flip that into into um, appreciation is often so much more powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Thanks again to the major for sending us a great uh, great question. Sorry it took us a while to get back to you, but um, yeah, that was a good question. Lots of good uh, conversation topics. And thank you for your service. Very much so. Should we call it? I think uh, I think that's probably good for tonight. Yeah, I think that's a great note to end on. All right. Well, for Nathan and Ock, this is Tawny saying love the bike you ride. Sneaking in the hotel pool.